Hey everyone, and welcome to、uh, an episode of High Five on the Road, where I am going to be traveling in my car, interviewing some of those people that High Five interacts with,、um, and they're either clients or people that we collaborate with. Um, today I am joined in the car by someone also not from America, so your the accents in this episode are going to be amazing for people who love accents.、Um, but I'll let him introduce himself. Hey Phil, thanks.、Uh, my name is Mark Collard, and I come from Australia, so I'm also a Commonwealth country.、Uh, God save the Queen. God save the Queen. <laughs> At some point, maybe we'll sing the national anthem together in unison. Oh, then you need to give me some more warning because I'm not sure I remember it anymore. But、uh, yes,、yeah, so I've happened to have、uh, just pulled into town to be a part of the symposium、uh, here, and very excited to be a part of this podcast. So the questions I've been asking of our own staff,、uh, I'm going to ask these also of the people that、I、interview in this series, is when you look back on your past, when do you think experiential education or adventure education actually started for you? Can you go back and think of when do you actually think that you either had a concept of it or a, an awareness of it, or maybe you didn't but still actually did it?、Hmm. This question is a bit like. Asking, you know, when did something happen? You go back far enough. You go back to the kid you sat next <laughs>、yeah. to in kindergarten. Honestly, yes, it goes、absolutely. that far back. Absolutely. So, at, at an informal level, I think the access to experiential experiential learning was through my father when we would go camping, you know, go fishing and all those sorts of things. I would never have understood it. As、yeah. that then, but then more formally, it went through my scouting experiences. Went through Cub Scouts ventures. You know,、mm-hmm. again, would never have regarded that as experiential learning, but、yep. absolutely, it was that.、Yeah. But I think the most significant, pivotal moment in my life at an experiential level was when I went on a youth leadership seminar. It was for、yeah. four days, run by Rotary, and again, didn't see it for what it was at the time. But they used an experiential. Methodology、yep. to transform these young people、mm-hmm. to to help them realise their potential. And for me, it was a case of chalk and cheese. <laughs> I went in as chalk and came out as cheese. I don't、yeah. eat cheese, but you understand <laughs> what I mean. Yeah.、Um, and it was that experiential model、yeah. of reflecting on experiences that was so pivotal. And and I think back to the impact it had on me then is part of the drive for why I've been involved with it for so long now、mm. because I almost want to give people back that experience that I had that was so transformative in my own life to give that to other people. Yeah. In what way do you find it transformative? What did it transform for you? For me, the transformation was about unlocking secrets or unlocking something that、yeah. was hidden. Again, I, I didn't understand it was there,、yeah. and I even resisted. Seriously, resisted going on this program because I was、yeah. too busy. I had this and that and da da. But I went, and、yeah. I'm so grateful that I went. But for me, it was unlocking who I really was, my potential, the ability to find out what I could do, what was possible, and also understand that I existed in relation to other people.、Mm. You know, so much of my life, and I was a 20 year old or whatever. Was so much about me, and there's nothing unusual about that story.、Yeah. But when I got who I was in relation to both myself and to others,、mm-hmm. yeah, you know, I was a crying, <laughs> sobbing mess because it was it was so revelatory that、yeah. I learned a bit about who I was and what 
what was possible for me. And I blossomed. Like there was significant differences that people who saw me on a regular basis going, man, what happened? Where have you been? And you're dressing differently. And, Mm -hmm. and, and that was a significant moment. So it was about just learning more about what I could do, my potential. Yeah. And did you find that that when you were a child at school that you didn't, you were more reserved? Or? Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I didn't know what a girl was until I was 21. <laughs> I had no clue. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so, I, I mean, I joke about that, and truly I had no girlfriends until yeah. I was about 21, but yeah. it, it was, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I can't explain it probably with yeah. words yeah. well enough, but – there was a bit of that, yes. Yeah, I, I, I think that it almost mirrors almost an experience for me. It, I didn't know of experiential education in, in, in its entirety in that way, but I went out and I, I belonged to what was known as the Boys Brigade. Mm. And I think, do you have that in Australia? Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, and I was that for, for, as a youth and they would go out camping and, and they, grew me into a leadership role as a kid and then gave me um, some responsibility as a young adult looking after those students. And I've, and that at the time I was also resistant. I, you know, the whole form of it, it's, it, it was uniform-esque, you know, there's like a little bit militarized mm. and that certainly wasn't fit me, but um, I had historical value. My dad went and it was part of that. And it's, maybe there's my resistance as well, <laughs> but the experience itself allowed me to grow to allow me to be able to say when I went to college or university when I went to university that I was able to move away from home mm. and it was as a as an as an 18 year old having that decision to not stay at home and it, for me college was not a an academic experience I I don't think I truly actually if I'm honest learned anything <laughs> in the years that I was there other in terms of academics but socially I was a completely different person. Mm-hmm. I remember coming home and, you know, I'd interact with friends that I had at high school and realized I had no, nothing in common. Mm-hmm. I, I changed in such a way that I'd, you know, and that allowed me to say, wow, now I'm also comfortable to go to another country mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. step around there. Uh, when did, in terms of your development in this, in this field, from that point, where did, what point did it transition from an experience to now a career path? Mm. Like, where was the point of like, now I'm earning money doing this? Yeah. Uh, and, and to be fair, I think some of this happened by chance. Yes. Um, through that initial experience as a 20 year old, my eyes were open to what mm. was possible. Um, I pursued some studies. Uh, which was so unlike who the Mark Collard was before I did this program, but I decided mm-hmm. to go overseas and and study for my masters. Yeah. Came to New York, and and completed that, and then f- went to a summer camp. You know, highly socialized environment, yep. and loved it. Um, all of those were really were really important. Mm-hmm. But I came back and worked as a, a management consultant. I leveraged oh. my MBA, yeah. earned top dollar, tie and collar, the whole thing. <laughs> For two years yeah. until I lost my job. You know, yeah. I, it, it was the, the business went bust. Yeah. I lost my job. And it was at that moment, that was the next pivotal moment. I could have just found another job, but I'd had this yearning for what I saw in temporary community, mm-hmm. in camp, um, and, and the fact that I was in this environment where there were no other Australians for the 12 months I was living. Mm-hmm. I love the community aspect, the ability to connect with others. I would never have understood that to be a career 30 years ago, but I look back on it now going, they were formative decisions that I decided at that moment when I lost my job, I am going to move back home with my parents and I'm going to see if I can make this work. And initially I thought I might've just ended up running a summer camp Mm. in Australia. 
or a camp. Um, that's not actually what happened. I mm-hmm. never found that opportunity, but uh, a group called Project Adventure, which many of the people, listeners would understand, mm-hmm. were looking to set up in Australia. And so I became one of the two people who set that up in Australia in the yeah. 1990s. Yeah. I was in the right place yeah. at the right time. And that is where I started to learn the skills. At the time, I thought it was magic, but the skills of being able to facilitate the experience so that transformation was possible through play, through experiential learning. I, this is, it's always the tough thing because I, I know that people listening to this, there may be students out there and we get students here often who will ask, wow, how do you end up working for High Five? How do you work for Project Adventure? These companies. And I, I, I feel sort of a fraud at times because I similarly fell into it. I, I can't say that I had, there's a direct path. I was in the right place at the right time. Mm-hmm. I did the same thing, came over to New York City. Worked at a summer camp in, in New York State, fell in love with working outside, and it happened to be that the camp that I ended up working at had year-round programming mm. that did outdoor education. And so and they offered me a job. And so I was like, mm, I, on a whim, I'll take it. Mm, mm. And I extended my visa for 18 months and stayed. Yep. And, then, and then through that, that camp connected me with High Five, who was their vendor for trainings. Mm. And I met Chris Ortiz. And had a great conversation with him, asked him, how do you start in this business? Seven years later, they offered me a job. So there is some sort of paths, but how would I have guessed or known yeah. that I would have met that that camp would have had year-round program? Yeah. How would I have known that I would have interacted with Chris yeah. and had a good conversation yeah. with him and, and really mm. like and had that experience? Yeah. And, and, and each of us used the words you know, in the right place at the right yeah. time. And to be fair, we're not really being honest yeah. because – if you had chosen not to go to America for the first time, none That's of this true. would have been possible. If I had chosen to just seek another tie and collar MBA job, yep. none of this would have been possible. And we wouldn't see it as wrong either. No. Like, oh my goodness, if only I had made a different decision. Yeah. So being in the right place at the right time, you had to make something happen. Yep. I had to choose mm-hmm. to volunteer for a year to work in an organization called the Camping Association of Victoria, the CAV. I figured if I'm going to do anything in camping, mm. I'd have my ear on the ground if I just volunteered my time in that office, something would happen. That's actually what kind of happened. Yeah. But I had to intentionally decide that. Yeah. I wasn't just going to sit at home, wait for the phone to ring. Mm. That's magic. Yeah. And that doesn't work. And I think that's, when I've even spoken to people here at High Five, I think something that connects us, because we know that there aren't that many jobs doing this. Mm. It's not a thing, oh, of course I'm going to end up working here. Mm. There is, it's often small companies doing really great work, but there's it's very hard to find the work. What all of us seem to have in connection is the ability to one be be willing to um, utilize our time in terms of volunteering if it need be, or working minimal hours, less hours than we would like in order to start to get our foot in the door. But also a really strong work ethic. I think that there's a, something that does tie us that is that we are we're passionate about it enough so that we don't give up. Because I could imagine that there could be moments, and I look back on mine, that I could have decided not to stick at it. Mm-hmm. You know, I could have gone back home. Now, I'm fortunate that I also at the same time met my now wife, so there was another reason <laughs> to stick at being around. But there was a piece of deciding, making a decision to, you know, I, I want to do this enough mm-hmm. that I'm going to keep trying. And I think that, that that's important. With that as well, I think for me, I know that there was a person or a couple of people that kept 
fanning the flames of my passion and allowed me to keep going at it. Kept saying, Phil, you're good enough or you're good at what you're doing. I think there's, I think you have potential. Mm. Is there someone in your history that fit, that helped you, that gave you impetus to keep going? That is a great question. I don't know that anyone's asked me that before. And my immediate answer is, I don't think so. Yeah. Maybe I need to sit in inquiry for a little longer <laughs> to understand it, but it, 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 I don't believe anyone yeah. was fanning that. Yeah. I did intentionally seek out opportunities. Mm. I needed to be in the right place so I could be at you know the right place at the right time. So I don't believe it. Now I can think of people who inspired me. Okay, yeah. But they weren't necessarily fanning. They weren't fanning your flame. Not necessarily. No. I don't think so. But maybe that was happening in the background. Maybe their source of inspiration was the fanning. Yeah. You know, and it's, so it's going to include people like Carl Ronke. Yeah. You know, he was the first person from Project Adventure who came out. Uh, as part of a tour that the Camping Association of Victoria in Australia had sponsored him. Mm. They were selling the book, Silver Bullets. Hey, let's bring the guy out. And I went along, and at the time I was working as a management consultant and loved, it's not hard to love what Carl does, the magic that that's all I saw at the time, but it was the activities he was introducing I only saw as, oh, this would be great to use in my youth group that I volunteered and ran on a Friday evening. Mm -hmm. That's all I saw it for. Yeah. And then a year later, I'm out of a job and then I'm going to another project adventure workshop and they tap me on the shoulder and say, hey, what would you like to do? So there are a few people like that that inspired me, but I truly believe there was no sponsor in the background Mm. going, Mark, you can do this. I think I just decided that this is what I want to do. Yeah. And and now 30 years down the track and I'm still here. In, in In the 30 years... Do you, and this is a broader thing about the industry or the, the, this, this field. Is that, can you see a notable difference between then and now in terms of what's happening? Is there stuff that is consistent and stuff that is different? The consistency is the fact that we're human, that we're still human. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and I've yeah. had the fortune of working around the world. And at the end of the day, if you have a breath, you're human. Uh, yeah. That yes, culturally there are different sensitivities and mm-hmm. needs and stuff like that. I get that, but that we are still human. That has not changed. Yeah. The bit that has changed for me is this is no longer uh, the gravy train. I'm not sure if I'm using the right term there, but in the 1980s and 90s, a lot of people got excited about team building and ropes mm-hmm. courses because mm-hmm. it was magical and it was fun and it was attractive and made yeah. a lot of money, yeah. but it also attracted a lot of cowboys and cowgirls yeah. who kind of screwed it up for everybody else because there were people hurt in both physical, mental, and, and emotional ways. But yeah. Now people don't want to go back to it because of those poor experiences. Yeah. So I th- there has absolutely been a maturation of the industry where mm. it's shaken that stuff out and we've become a lot more confident about how these methodologies can be used more powerfully. We understand that better now. I think the other thing we need to acknowledge is technology. Mm -hmm. You know, 30 years ago, um, it was difficult to let people know about what you do. Yeah. Uh, if you, unless you stuffed envelopes or made a lot of phone calls, <laughs> a lot of or word of mouth, expected yeah. A, yeah, a lot of word of mouth. Which if, I think word of mouth is still a very powerful media, mm. but there's no doubt in my mind, my business has benefited from sharing through electronic means. Yeah, yeah. and I'm not a big social media person, but just you know the ability for someone to plug something in and have a video or an activity or a reference to me or my books online. Yeah. That wasn't possible 30 years ago, and that just helps me share this stuff more widely. Yeah, that's a perfect segue into the next question because um, I, I have found 
in the years that I've been, I've been doing this now 10 years. And in that, in that time for me, I, I've loved going to conferences and watching people present activities and show the case stuff. The thing that I've struggled with, and I think other people often struggle with is reading an activity in a book and be able to know how it flows and also know if it's a good activity or a bad, how do you judge it sometimes from Mm -hmm. the text in the, and, and there are some that even in writing, you could not, you could say this is the best activity in the world, but you read it, you'd never do it because it, it's so hard to describe. And so, what I've really loved and appreciated in the last few years is Playmio. Mm. Um, for me, it's been something that is for a resource even before High Five when it was very new. I remember getting involved in and becoming a member early on, and finding immediately this was the right resource for me in terms of a visual ability to be able to see it, um, see how the activities run, see someone actually showcase it and all of the other stuff that comes with that. Um, how did Playmio, and we'll get onto a little bit of more of the collaboration of High Five and Playmio in a bit, but how did Playmio for you start? Mm. Was, what's the inception of Playmio? How's the creation? Again, if you go back to the kid who sat next to me in yeah. kindergarten. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was born, conception, born, birth. Yep. No, it, look, it came from a realisation that the people who turned up at a training mm-hmm. got what I had to deliver. Yeah. And even if, and it's not true today and it wasn't true 30 years ago, but even if Melbourne, Australia was my only market, I don't have enough life in me to get to every single teacher, corporate trainer, camp leader, youth worker in Melbourne alone in order to be able to have these people get what I've got to share. So then writing books made sense. Mm -hmm. That way I didn't have to turn up and there's a way for people to access this information. So I've now written five books, but the yep. first book was the first chance to actually share this beyond my little circle yeah. of influence. Yeah. And then it became, you know, you've got a few books out and it's like a musician. They ask me when your last album came out, it's like, when's your next album coming uh, out? Yeah. It's like, oh man, if you, if you knew how much effort there was in writing a book. Yeah. So I started a blog. Yeah. So this was in 2010. Yeah. Uh, the internet was definitely powering up and I'm writing a blog and just basically posting each week. Hey, I've come across this new idea. Here's a variation of something I know. Here's a video I saw of something. And it was phenomenally successful. Yep. Within two years, tens of thousands of people were visiting every month. Mm-hmm. And then they started saying, this is awesome. You should be charging for this. Yeah. And I was like, huh. <laughs> I had no intention. Yeah. But it made sense. Yeah. And it was only a blog. It wasn't a database. No. And then I really got, we don't need any more activity books. We have enough activity yeah. books out there. And I simply can't fit them in my back pocket. So how do I remember all this stuff? And I would often turn up at a training going, you know what, I'd like to try that activity, but I can't remember it. If I don't have the book on me, but I've got my mobile phone, mm-hmm. i got my cell phone in my back pocket. So giving access digitally to this yeah. information, and like you said, the ability to, to look at a video tutorial and see someone who has done this with a real group yeah. in the course of a minute or two going, ah, that's what it looks like, that's what it sounds yeah. like, and that's what it feels like. Yeah. That was the part I didn't, I wasn't convinced on in the beginning. I didn't get, I thought you had to turn up to get it. Yeah. But then, and now it's really clear to me, watching a video, people get it. Like you can, yeah. people are laughing at the jokes and they're, they're getting a sense of the, oh, I can feel the energy yeah. that was coming from a video. And yeah. so that's how it started. It was in 2012, so two years after yeah. the blog came out, was to formally put together a proper database, mm-hmm. a searchable database so that people could find this information and then become a repository, a, a clearinghouse for, and happily now people contribute all around the world. Mm-hmm. So it's not, it's no longer the Mark Collard show. You know, I still am a significant part of it because it started with my books, yeah. 
but now it has many, many dozens, hundreds of other activities from stuff outside of my sphere. And I, yeah, I think that's, you know, the ability to be able to share this stuff. And it's always been the thing that I've always enjoyed about the field and the industry and the other players in the field. Mm. You know, the ability to share between people has always been really well received. I, I enjoyed your blog before, uh, play me. I remember <laughs> going on it and I would, what I, what I did like, and I, and I try to do this myself. And I, when I, when I do trainings is some, I would, comment on the blog and you would respond and i would be like the 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 ability to find that it's not a you know a screen but it's actually someone you're interacting with i always found that to be really informative and helpful and and sort of gratifying as well in Mm. terms of like oh i'm going to give let's see if this idea flies and and then see if someone responds and then you ah this is a good idea and i'm like oh okay okay (laughs) i think i know what i'm talking about so that that collaboration there has always been appealing to me and what is really exciting uh for people listening is that high five is going to be collaborating with mm. Playmeo and mm. introducing some of our activities uh, some of the products that we've had Ubuntu and mm. and the like um, and then incorporating that in and making that also a visual aid for people because uh, we have a book and a book is a book and it's very useful mm. but I do think there is often that, that disconnect I remember I would go to conferences and I'd see stuff and I'd be like oh it'd be awesome my wife would say tell me what you learned and I'd not remember I'd say <laughs> it was a lot of fun <laughs> but I cannot remember what the activities were so I think mm. this gives such a, an ability for our clients and also a larger range to be able to see some of the stuff we do. And, and you may not understand what yeah. you just said. Yeah. Let me just feedback some yeah. of it. You couldn't remember what you did, but you remember what you felt. Yes. So, exactly. so, so critical in oh, what yeah. we do. And and you you can't package that feeling any other way than through a, a direct experience yeah. if you've got it. And maybe you can get parts of it through watching a video. Yeah. But we live in a world where it's not necessary to remember stuff mm-hmm. as long as you know where to go for it. Correct. And that's why I think we get significant amount of traffic mm-hmm. from people who just want to visit to find that information. Yeah. Um, they, they get that this is transformative. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I want more. What are the other activities? Or if you've read something in your book, I know, you know, for example, the latest book I've written has a QR code on every single activity. Yeah. You flash that with your, your camera of your phone, it takes you straight to the database and you can see it at play. Yeah. You know, it's not just a write-up now. It's not step-by-step. Step. It's like, here's two minutes of the video and you can actually see the activity actually working. Yeah. Uh, and they get it. They get that feeling, but they can also then go, oh, now I remember how to play it. I didn't have to remember it. I can just look at it. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, looking f- forwards into this into the, uh, the field, where do you see us going in 10, 15, 20 years as an, as an, as a, as an industry? A continuing maturation. Yeah. Um, I think we've got to get over ourselves and understand that technology can actually assist us. Yes. Because, uh, yeah. uh, look, I'm one of them, uh, and, and I'm, parts of me still need to be convinced, but I still feel we have, we feel that we have to keep turning up. Mm-hmm. But turning up has different formats now. And so I have to accept that people really get the value of something digitally, like through a video or a podcast mm-hmm. or through some other means to understand that that maturation also means that there are other ways of delivering content. Just just a month ago, I delivered a class in Tennessee mm-hmm. from Melbourne, Australia. Oh. <laughs> I was just on a screen. Yeah. They could hear me. It was live. The yeah. camera was skewed so I could see most of the classroom yeah. and conducted a 45-minute lesson. Yeah. And it was it worked brilliantly, <laughs> but I didn't turn up. Yeah. I wasn't there, yeah. but it worked great. It worked really well. And so- identifying different ways of making technology work mm-hmm. for us yeah. I think 
is something that I believe is in our future because I think we've always thought that we had to turn up. Experiences meant you had to be there, otherwise you didn't get it. I'm not sure that's the truth. Yeah, I think it's it, there's certainly a lot of truth in that. <laughs> I still love turning up and I love you know the the real interface with well, people because you get something out of it too. Of and course. I think that's the piece. Sometimes is and there there is a. I think people have to be honest that we get stuff out of this too. It's not always a, a, about that. It's when I when I pick activities and I sometimes do this and mention this in trainings with the sequencing of activities. I think of it in two veins. One, what does it give the participants? What mm. what would this activity give them? But the second vein is what does it give me? Over, it's giving me information, but also does it give me a break from speaking for a while? Does it give me an energy boost? <laughs> there are lots of things that also we have to factor into ourselves, mm. which I think is an important thing. I, I think this. Is more of an aspiration than I think what I would expect to see. Yeah. An aspiration is uh, e- e- embracing more educational realms mm. to truly introduce experiential learning and adventure based learning uh, into education. Yeah. Uh, because presently, I know in parts of Australia, it's just seen as a subject. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's not a subject, it's a methodology. Mm-hmm. And whether you're a math teacher, PE teacher, language teacher, I've worked in China where they do, they teach opera singing in school. No matter what your content is, it benefits from connection. Yeah. And that, you know, that's been a mantra of mine for a long time to connect before content. Mm-hmm. And, and this is a wonderful vehicle to make that happen, to yeah. allow it to happen is to use group games and activities for that purpose. Yeah. So it's an aspiration of mine. It's a tough nut to crack. Because it's hard for teachers and school administrators to hear me say that, and all they can actually hear me say is, "Add more responsibilities." Sure. It's like uh, that's not it. No. And I think we need to get better at how we educate uh, and how we communicate, how we articulate mm-hmm. what we do, so that it can actually turn up in a classroom, and it doesn't have to be on a ropes course. Yeah. It's actually a, a, a medium, a, a methodology that can help you teach math. Oh yeah. We know that, but I don't know that we do that very well. And actually, I know we don't do that very well. Yeah, and 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 what we what I found is, and we we experience this in Keen with our Edu Leadership Program that is now in a in, been written into curriculum, which is a very very exciting. But what the the issue for us is, people uh, once they're in the door. They're salt, they're bored because it's, we, we very, very often, we very rarely, sorry, lose people once they're in the door. They're not going to see this and go, Ooh, mm. I don't really like this. Most people enjoy this, mm. but everybody else, I, I, I refer to them as muggles using a Harry Potter reference. They don't understand the magic. It's like the world of Harry Potter and is, is, is invisible to them. The magic is invisible. They just don't know it exists and they see it as, as pseudo education or a supplemental thing. And I totally agree. It, it needs to infect, infect and infest into everything. Mm. It needs to be everywhere. Mm. But it's so, we struggle to really, we're all passionate, but to explain that passion sometimes. My parents, 30 years later, still don't know what I do. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I'm looking yeah. forward to my six-year-old son as to how he describes yeah. to his friends and whoever what his daddy does. Because he looks at daddy, who's often at home, because yeah. he's not always engaged on a job, thinking that this is what every other daddy does. <gasps> and I'm pretty unique in yeah. that regard. Yes. So not only in terms of the time I spend, but also how I spend it. The next series of questions are going to be a little bit um, – I, I, we've gone serious. Now we're going to go a little bit off in terms of 
nonsensical, possibly some sensical, but... Sorry, I should take my seatbelt off. <laughs> yes, okay, now, right. now, now that my hands are clearly off the wheel, um, <laughs> we're going to be able to go into some questions. And I think I ask people just to go, first thing that pops to your mind, don't contemplate it too deeply. I'm not assessing your psychological dispositions. <laughs> um, so, first question, name a movie that you enjoyed as a child. Oh... I swear I think I was born when I was 22, but um, I, <laughs> yeah. uh, as a child, look, the first one that comes to mind is Pinocchio. Really? Disney, yeah. cartoon. I'm sure there were ones earlier, but I have very few memories of when I was very young. Mm. Uh, unlike my wife, who can remember something <laughs> yeah. like from about three days after she was born. <laughs> yeah. But uh, Pinocchio, Pinocchio, vivid memories of that, going to the drive-in yeah. with my parents and uh, watching video, uh, video uh, v- film of Pinocchio, the yeah. animated feature. Frightened by the donkey scene, or oh no, 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 I don't think so. I can't remember the donkey scene, but um, <laughs> he, he gets transformed into a donkey, oh, and he's like, yes. it's very like That's it's right uh, for me. I think scary. Um, no, have you trend? Your your son is six. Yep, has he been introduced to the world of Disney movies or a couple of them? Yes, a couple of them. We limit his screen time yep. quite severely. Yeah. He would say it severely. Um, uh, so we've seen a couple, most recently Moana. Oh, you have. My daughter, she's not seen the movies. Uh, she's not interested. She's free, which I am, I'm glad of. And we do the same limiting of screen time. I'm excited for when she does get interested because for me, similarly, Disney for me, movies, had, had a big part of my childhood. For some reason, whatever that is, they stick in my brain mm. and I'm excited to experience them with her. So mm. that's an exciting mm. thing for me. Mm. Mm. If you had to live the remainder of your life as an animated character, who would it be? It's an animated character. So an animated character being something that already exists. Already exists out there. You're not creating the animation yourself, but it could either be cartoon, CGI. Um, hmm. All right. So working off the basis of my six-and-a-half-year-old. Yes, exactly. Uh, this, this would be his first answer, <laughs> would be uh, Lego Batman. Lego Batman. But I wouldn't be Lego Batman. That would okay. be his okay. answer. That would be him? I would go Emmett. Emmett, yeah. If you're familiar with yeah, the Lego movies, and number yeah. two's just about to come out. Yeah. He's very excited. Yeah. Um, yeah, it would be Lego. It would be Emmett because he's unassuming. He, yeah. uh, he follows the instructions. Yeah. That's who I am in many <laughs> respects. But then... He, life is awesome. You know, everything is awesome, but everything is awesome. But then he breaks out of that mold. And I think of many parts of my life where I have definitely not conformed. I've gone outside of the ordinary. That would be my character. Emmett. Awesome. Never been asked that. There you go. Never thought about it. (laughs) This, this might, there are some questions now. I'm going to give you some would you rathers. Oh. So I was once asked, someone, I framed a question of a would you rather and the person I was asking said, well, these are both negative. These are both bad. Well, that's sometimes the case in Rudrawas. You're not getting a positive and negative option. Mm-hmm. So, um, the first one, however, is a question that I ask at an Adventure Basics here, a five-day Adventure Basic model. And it's been a question that I've asked so many times, but I found that the, the, the answers are always very interesting. Um, and this one is, would you rather fight a hundred horses that are the size of a duck or one duck the size of a horse. I would fight the one duck. Rationale. Why the one duck? There's only one of them. Yes. <laughs> Numbers. Very purely on strength alone that there would be just 100 <laughs> and I couldn't cope with 100. Yep. If there's only one and it's a duck, 
And I have a very strong affinity with ducks. I live uh, big uh, opposite a big lake with lots of ducks. Mm-hmm. Um, so it would be a duck because there's only one of them and I could probably run around it or run underneath its legs <laughs> if it's as big as a horse. Yep. Um, yeah. And I think they would look at me going, because as a vegan, they go, well, I know you don't eat uh, ducks. You yes, don't eat horses either. Yes. But I don't eat ducks and go, hey, you know, we're friends. We're okay. And so they probably look after me. I think it's common knowledge that ducks have the ability to be able to tell a vegan on site. Oh, it is. That's why we have so many ducks outside of our place. Yes. <laughs> uh, next one. Would you rather age one year every time that you sneezed? So every sneeze would mean you're a year older. Or repeat grades kindergarten through 12 as an adult. So repeating all of your school, primary, high, as an adult. Even before you gave me the second option, I knew I was going to go the second option because <laughs> I suffer from allergies. Okay, same as me. I, for me, I'd be dead in a week. Oh. Allergy season, I'm done. Oh, I was dead by morning tea <laughs> yeah. because I get up in the morning and I'm sneezing. So uh, without a doubt. And I often think of that concept of, you know, yeah. what do you know now that if you'd known as a 20-year-old, yeah. for example, yeah. would have changed your life. So if I could do school over again, yeah. oh, my goodness. You know, not only would it be more social, and I would I would really grasp the opportunity um, that was presented me in a really different way. But yeah, yeah no, hands down, go for <laughs> repeating school. Yeah, is there a particular age when you're at school that you enjoyed the most? Again, I wasn't born till I was 22, yeah. but um, I have so few memories. I, I the, the memory I have of my secondary education. Yeah was uh, from grade 7 to grade 11 or yeah. year, seven to year uh, 7 to 11. And we did no exams. We wrote no essays. What? And we went on camps a great deal. It was uh, a very what? different vocational oh education. I loved it. Oh, yeah. And then I decided to go to university. And yeah. then that next year, year 12, was hell because oh. I had to catch up with a lot of stuff that all my contemporaries had been doing for five years. Beside the point. <laughs> so I loved that because yeah. it was really fun. I learned a lot of practical skills you know, woodwork and metalwork and things of that mm. nature that I know that I that I apply on a regular basis around my own home and mm-hmm. things of that nature. So for me, that that I think is if I had to say there was a favorite time, mm. it's probably in that secondary education, but I don't I have so few memories. Yeah. So few memories. I, I, I wish if I was to go back, and this is partly maybe a pessimist view for me, I think even now if I went back, I would dread it. Mm. <laughs> you know, there's, the, the social aspect of school for me was not the best. So academics, I, I was okay. The social aspect was very scary. Mm. And mm. the thought of going back, I, I have the greatest empathy for high school students or middle school students, anyone of a teenage age, because it's mm. such a tough age. But I do wish if I was to go back that I'd learned languages. Yeah. I don't know if you were able yes. to speak any languages, but I cannot. And it's such a regret for me. Mm, mm, it's something mm. that I don't think it's so hard now to try to do that. Mm, mm. But it's such a regret. Yep. And, well, certainly when I went through school, language wasn't really an option, and it is now. It's required part of the Australian curriculum. You must learn another language. Um, and I'm grateful for that because that's really powerful for the way our brains work mm-hmm. and are wired to learn another language. Yeah. I, no, I did not. Other than swearing, that was about the only <laughs> yeah, other yeah. language used frequently yeah. in the quadrangle at school. Yeah, it's the it's the, almost the uh, the arrogance of the English speaking world that why should we learn another language? Everyone speaks the language we speak, mm-hmm. or they can, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, or should, or should. <laughs> like, uh, the latter, please. Um, 
Would you rather be able to only sleep on a couch five inches shorter than you are or randomly get more twisted ankles than you normally would in your life? No, the first one. You would rather sleep on a couch five inches shorter? Yes, because I curl up when I sleep. Ah, you're a fetal curl sleeper. Well, not quite fetal, but certainly I scrunch up enough that I had to convert five inches into into metric, enough for me to squeeze. So that wouldn't be a problem because I couldn't do the second one. No, yeah. (laughs) For me, I'm I'm torn because sleep... I, I, sleep is so integral to me. If I don't get a good enough hour's sleep, I don't function. Mm-hmm. And as an example, my, my daughter, when she has to climb into our bed sometimes because she's had a rough night, it's like, all right, I know I'm not sleeping. So, but then I agree. Random angle twistings, mm. not knowing when they're coming. Mm, no. That's a little, anything random to be is probably yeah. not great. No, no. <laughs> Lack no. of preparedness. No. Um, okay, we're going to end with this last one. And, this one, someone asked me, where are you getting this from? The answer is Google. So they're at fault here. If <laughs> Would you rather be able to jump to the moon, but you, are, you have spoons for hands? So you can jump to the moon, but your hands are spoons. Okay. Or be able to make food appear at will. At any time, you can make food appear. But it's always a little too salty. Now, and in this scenario, you have normal hands. You're full, fully yes, normal, yes, normalized. Yes. Except for salty food is your production. Yes. You don't have to produce food, I guess. I don't know. Uh, yeah. So I, I lean towards the food because mm. I need food probably more than I need the experience of having been on the moon. Yes. I think. So it's almost like a nonsense. <laughs> have you ever been to the moon? Not you yet. You don't know what the experience can be like. like. I think our children will actually... Yes. Seriously, about to ask that question uh, and know that some people will answer the yes. Envy to it. of the future scientific world. Yeah, there's no doubt in my mind. But yeah. no, it would be the ability to produce food at will, even if it's a little bit salty, yeah. because if that's possible, so would also the opportunity to add something to it to remove the salt. Mm. You know, to be able to balance that out. So yeah. okay, so <laughs> I like salty food as well. So yeah, that's all right. salt. Uh, I think that if this, if the capacity is that that wasn't the only way you could get your food. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And that's a no brainer. That's true. That's I would, true. I'd be doing the normal thing, and if I got lazy and I was mm. on the road and I didn't want to have to leave the hotel room and mm. go to a restaurant, <laughs> hey, I could think of some food. It's just I deal with the salt, drink yep. some water, hydrate. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, awesome. Those are all of my questions. And I can say that you passed with flying colours. You got all of the would you rather's. You answered all of them correctly. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Excellent. Up until now, they've all been incorrect answers. And I, my disappointment level has been high. So you've really excelled. Oh, okay. So I passed. Yes. You did pass. Yes, that's fantastic. Great. What's my prize? Uh, you, we get to leave this cold car and warm up. Oh, right. Fantastic. <laughs> I'm about to put my scratchy ja- jacket back on. My, my fingers are cold, so I'm like... <laughs> Please, let us uh, get to the end. Okay. Well, uh, I've really enjoyed it, Mark. So thank you for sitting in my car and joining me for the last My pleasure. I thought years. we were going to the pub, but that's okay. Yeah, yeah. we drove nowhere. <laughs> what an experience. Come into my car, join me. We'll go nowhere. I'll leave it in park. I'm just concerned about people around us who are wondering why all the windows are fogged up. Yes, there, there <laughs> is, a part, there is there? a part of, as people have been leaving, all the cars either side of us have left, so people have seen us. And what they thought of that is up to them. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Mike. I've appreciated it. Absolutely. My pleasure. It's been great fun. Thanks, Phil. 
Thanks for listening. And do it again. Thanks for listening. And can you say,、uh, thanks for listening to High Five. Thanks for listening to High Five. <laughs> And then what about thanks for listening to High Five's podcast? Can you do it? Okay, try. Thanks for giving us a good pass, guys.